It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I am your host, your pal in the Kitty Copied Off in Math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL, and you can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And before we get started on this Rewatch Wednesday, I just want to ask you to help support your local businesses, whether they're your corner stores, your coffee spots, or your favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. So the next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol to tap and pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. And today it's our rewatch Wednesday or it's like our tape day, right? This is the day we talk about the Texans game. We're going to go really in depth. We're going to kind of put a bow on it and analyze everything that needs to be analyzed, which is a lot. So let's dive right in. First up, a couple of updates leading up to the game, and of course, at least as of this recording uh, on late on Tuesday, there have been no uh, additional positives for the Vikings. Even the Titans, the positives have stopped rolling in, so hopefully they know who is and isn't uh, infected with COVID-19, and they can start to move forward with their season, but the Vikings appear to have dodged the bullet at least at this juncture. And honestly, at this point, you know, now a week and a half removed from that Titans game, if there are any positives on the Vikings, it's probably more likely that it came from, uh, you know, the process of traveling to and from Houston and not necessarily that Titans game. So it seems like that incident is in the Vikings past, which is nice. And they are now just kind of at the same base level of risk that everybody's at when they're traveling from city to city playing football games. Elsewhere in uh, rumors, I guess, in injury news, the Vikings defense defensive end, Daniel Hunter, who has been on injured reserve. Uh, His personal trainer said uh, a statement to uh, Pioneer Press reporter Chris Thomason that he thought that the the personal trainer thought that Daniel Hunter should probably sit out for the entire course of the season. That's uh, pretty concerning, obviously. I I mean, he's a herniated disc, and that's not the kind of injury that is a quick three weeks and out kind of thing. And it's also the kind of injury that, you know, the severity of it becomes more and more clear as time goes on. So the timeline of Zimmer, like calling it a tweak and then kind of backing off of that and then saying like, well, you know, we're hoping to have him back soon. And then that not really being the case, like the way that this kind of played out is kind of like I feel like typical of of a herniated disc. That's just not the kind of injury um, that's like a, you know, torn ACL where you just know right away or and then, you know, somebody would like lie about it or whatever. It just seems like the kind of injury that now is going to keep Daniel Hunter out for the lion's share of the 2020 season. And if he is healthy enough in like December, there's a decent enough chance that the Vikings aren't even in, in the mix anyways. And you wouldn't really need to put him on the field Anyhow, so it seems like Daniel Hunter is just going to be out for this year. That's the way that I would probably move forward. And if I turn out to be wrong and he does come back, then that's just gravy. 
So now that we're a quarter of the way through this season, we're here in week four. There are a few stats from either the week four game or just up to this point in general that I think are telling uh, a really important story that I want to go over. And the first one is that Justin Jefferson leads the league in yards per route run. He has 3.7 yards per route run. Okay, so what does that mean? I actually tweeted that out and a bunch of people were like, what? What does that even mean? Is 3.7 yards? That doesn't sound like very much. Is that even good? So yards per route run is a stat uh, that I, I don't know if PFF invented, but it's one that they've championed quite a bit, but it's uh, an, an efficiency metric. So you take all the yards that a receiver has uh, and divide it by the number of plays where they ran a passing pattern. And that seems like a really weird distinction, but it's basically it's yards per opportunity, yards per time when they could have caught the ball, right? Yards per snap. But you throw out all the snaps where they were like blocking for a screen or where it was a run play or whatever. You throw out all those and whatever you have left over is the number of snaps that you could have technically caught a pass because you were running a passing pattern. How many yards do you have through there? And it's this really like stable efficiency metric. And it turns out that like including all of the plays where somebody was a part of the play and was a part of the passing pattern but didn't catch the ball actually turns out to be an informative thing to do. It's like a tiny little ding every time you run a passing pattern but you don't get targeted and you don't catch the ball. That turns out to actually have some predictive power when you do that to everybody and kind of like count each one of those tiny, tiny, tiny little dings. Um, and it works out. And right now, what Justin Jefferson has is off the charts. It's 3.7 for uh, a receiver for yards per route run is is on the moon. And like through four games is an unbelievable pace. You know, you see that kind of thing when somebody has, you know, two catches for 15 yards and they're or they, and they only ran, you know, three patterns. So they have five yards per route run or something like that. But over the course of an entire season, that's roughly impossible. Possible. I actually said that, and somebody from PFF uh, came back and said, actually, Steve Smith did 3.85 in 2008, and that's about it. Um, as a rule of thumb for yards per route run, anything over two is good. Anything over 2.5 is elite. And if you're crossing three, then you're kind of breaking the sport. Uh, Julio Jones got like 2.98 a couple years ago. Uh, last year, Michael Thomas led the league at 2.88. So 3.7 is just completely out of this world. Uh, another stat that I wanted to talk about was the 13 pressures that Kirk Cousins was under in week four against the Texans. Of those pressures, three of them, PFF at least, credited to Kirk Cousins. And after watching the tape, I think I agree with those. I think I know which I can tell which ones those are, and I agree with them. The reason that PFF would ever credit uh, a quarterback with their own pressure is because uh, sometimes they invite that pressure. If you just like hold the ball too long, and they'll even look and say, hey, someone was open, you could have fired, you didn't, and now you're under pressure. That's your fault that you're in, under pressure. Or if, say, you bail on a perfectly clean pocket, or you drift to a spot where what was a good block and maybe you like drift too far to the right and, and now you know they're protecting a spot where you know you're not standing anymore and suddenly you know you're under pressure because you ruined somebody else's perfectly good block they'll credit the quarterback with that and and they said that Kirk Cousins did, did that three times on Sunday which is pretty bad and of the the remaining 10 pressures three of them were on tight ends and so the, the the Texans played really, really vanilla defense, which is a huge indictment on that coaching staff, which I suppose uh, explains the, the later events. But basically, a lot of the like zone coverages that that the Texans employed were they I, I don't know, not particularly deceptive. They were fairly easy to read post snap. There were some blitzes. They blitzed uh, Kirk Cousins 13 times out of, I think, 27 uh, dropbacks, or 26 or 27 dropbacks, so about half the time they blitzed, and that is a lot to blitz Kirk Cousins, um, but even those were not, like, particularly innovative. Like, it was a lot of really easy stuff, and when you have, like, softer zone coverages and really easy zone coverages to pick apart, it kind of means you don't need to use as com as much complexity to beat that, and that means that you can leave guys in the block more often. So the tight ends were left in the block a whole bunch. Uh, somebody yesterday asked about Irv Smith in the, in the mailbag. Go listen to that if you're interested. 
Um, and basically the answer is, yeah, he was kind of kept into block a lot to help out the struggling offensive line. He kept him into block and those tight ends actually didn't end up pass protecting very well. I think Irv Smith got two pressure or was credited with two pressures. Rudolph gave up one. Um, so of that, now that you've got an offensive line that only gave up seven of the 13 pressures, and that actually doesn't look as bad as, you know, 13 pressures of 26 or 27 dropbacks being under pressure half the time is like terrible. But a lot of that was not on the offensive line. The only player on the offensive line that I think like genuinely deser- genuinely deserves to be called out and like reprimanded was Drew Samia, who was bad, bad. And he's been like terrible for the last few games. So this shouldn't uh, th- this shouldn't be surprising, but you still have to point it out because it was just so spectacularly embarrassing. There is one thing when you're just getting beat up or, you know, you're, you're letting pressures through and you're making mistakes. But I mean, it's like circus clown stuff. It, it's whiffing. It's like really it's TJ Clemmings pop off the tape bad, you know, getting blown off the ball, getting knocked back just making embarrassing mistakes, whiffing in the second level. Um, it's very clear that Drew Samia is not ready for NFL speed. And if he's not ready for NFL speed by, you know, a month into his second year, I think it's fair to question if he ever will be. And I don't think that's like a completely done deal yet. But it's the conversation we should start to have. And I think we just have to wait for Pat Elfline to get to get back, which is a weird thing to say, considering the the reputation, you know, and the opinion that I have of him. Um, But I mean, he'll, he'll be bad and just not this spectacularly bad. There's a lot more I want to dive into, but first, I kind of want to pause here and dive into a Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, and they're back, and they have all 12 of their original flavors, like peanut butter brownie, coconut if you're into that, banana bread is one of my favorites, and like German chocolate, and they have some new flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, things that you really don't feel like you should be able to, to snack on if you're on a diet, but it's great for somebody, for the, the health conscious guy who's trying to lose or maintain weight, they're low calorie, low sugar, high protein protein, high fiber, and they're keto friendly. For example, that cookies and cream one, 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and four grams of net carbs. So if you're into indulging on a treat like that coated in delicious chocolate without feeling guilty about it, you can go to builtbar.com. And if you use promo code locked on, you'll get $10 off of your next order. That's promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. If you follow me on Twitter, you might see sometimes I tweet out pictures of uh, like baked goods. And that's because my girlfriend is an avid baker. And there's this kind of rule of thumb in baking when you're using butter, and you use butter a lot in baking, that you should always use unsalted butter unless otherwise specified. And the reason, you know, salt in baking is like this really delicate thing, and you have to make sure you're putting in the right amount. And if you use salted butter, lots of different brands have different salt content, and it can like ruin your recipe. So you use unsalted, so you can control the amount of salt and put in just like exactly as much as you want, not a grain more. So a couple weeks ago, she was looking at this recipe for Kentucky butter cake, which is wonderful. And it said to use salted butter. And she was like, that can't be right. Like, this is a a place that looks like it knows what it's talking about with baking. It can't be right to use salted butter. And so she made the decision to say, no, 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 I'm going to like 
kind of approximate how much salt there should be from the salted butter. I'm going to like be controlling about it. And, and I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to use unsalted butter and like do this the way that I know how. And she made that decision based off of a lot of experience baking. And it turned out great. It turned out to be the exact right amount of salt for sure. The flavor was perfect. and wasn't too salty at all. That's the kind of thing that you do when you know what you're doing. You can kind of know exactly which rules to break and when to veer off of the instructions. And I wonder if you can guess by now that this is going to be a conversation about Kirk Cousins. So over at Zone Coverage, I wrote an article about Kirk Cousins and uh, aggression, because I see a lot this criticism that that Kirk Cousins is like a conservative quarterback, that he's not aggressive enough. Um, and, and I don't know if that's the way that I would put it. Like, I, I kind of get what that criticism is trying to say, but calling it uh, conservatism, I think, is a misnomer. Because for one, Kirk Cousins right now is the highest average depth of target in the league. He has the highest percentage of 20 plus yard throws in the league, like the most, the, the, the highest portion of his throws go further than 20 yards. Um, and he is, I think, sixth in the league in terms of how far past the sticks he throws on average. These are not conservative stats. He is probably one of the 10 most, one of the five most, I would even say maybe the most aggressive quarterback in the league when it comes to what we typically talk about when there is aggression. But when you talk about Kirk Cousins being conservative or, or playing it safe or, you know, when you kind of say, hey, Kirk Cousins made a bad decision here and should have uh, uh, taken a risk and declined that risk and it was bad, you're not necessarily talking about like depth or like the depth of target. He also throws into uh, tight windows, I think, in the top five. But that isn't like typically what we're talking about. I mean, that's only like one aspect of a throw that could be deemed, you know, conservative or aggressive. And the real nature of the problem, I think, kind of showed itself really well in this Texans game. I think this Texans game demonstrated that issue very well, both when he's like good on the aggressiveness scale and when he's bad. So one thing he does do is he throws into tight windows. There are a bunch of examples and they're outlined in that article. I'll link it in the show notes. But there are a bunch of examples where Kirk Cousins will throw into some pretty tight coverage if it's coverage that he expects. If you have, you know, there was one uh, Justin Jefferson on the sideline, that crazy back shoulder throw uh, where Justin Jefferson makes this crazy body catch. You probably saw it. Um, and if Cousins were a, a, a and if Cousins weren't as aggressive as a, of a quarterback, he probably doesn't throw into that coverage. Like, Justin Jefferson does not look open on that. That is not an open look. He does not have the step he needs. There is a tiny little window, but for the most part, Bradley Roby, who was on Jefferson at that point, uh, was in really, really nice coverage. But he throws the back shoulder, and he kind of throws him open, and he requires Justin Jefferson to make uh, a big adjustment. And of course, he pays that off because he's playing out of his skull, and it, it all works out. But that's an aggressive, risky throw. And then there are examples where Kirk Cousins will decline something where like the safety has, uh, you know, gone away to to like theoretically take away what that throw is supposed to be. There was one that's also outlined in that article where it's Justin Jefferson is running a corner route uh, from, uh, I believe it's a smash concept, running a corner route uh, into the end zone. They're on like the 19 and they are in a the Texans are in a single high concept. That means one deep safety and that basically means that like smash versus single high is a is a slam dunk win. That means that, uh, you know, the corner route is basically going to run away from that single safety and you're not going to have anybody else there to undercut it because the uh, the the only other defender that could possibly have anything to do with it is going to take the underneath route in that that smash concept. So really, this was a play call that should have been a touchdown. But the safety kind of leaked a little bit over toward that corner route. And Kirk Cousins came off of it thinking the safety would be able to contest it too much. And if you watch that play out, Justin Jefferson actually would have had a decent amount of space to make that. And I actually think there would have been a, a throwing window that is way more open than a lot of the throwing windows that Kirk Cousins actually accepted later on in the game. But 
the read says if the safety goes that way, you come off of it. And so he did. So, you know, I talk about him all the time that he's like Ron Burgundy he just says what's on the teleprompter. These are if then statements and he follows them to a T. And that's not even something that like as a coach, you can really be that mad about, right? That he did what you told him to do. He followed the play design as you told him that it worked. And there's just no independent thought. He's putting salted butter in his Kentucky butter cake. And he's not doing that because he thinks salted butter is the right decision. He's doing that because the recipe said put in salted butter. And even though he probably knows better, he's still declining those opportunities. So when the play call says, hey, you might get tight coverage on this and you're going to have to throw into it, he doesn't have a problem with that. And it's not like a risk reward thing. It's an if then thing and and this kind of uh, really well documented unwillingness to move off script. To his credit, he's been a lot more improvisational when things go wrong, when there's pressure, when, when things aren't open. He's tried to extend plays with his legs. He actually got a couple of really good plays in this Texans game uh, off of that, like the one to the, that he kind of hucked up off his back foot and it came down like perfectly to, to Kyle Rudolph. That is exactly what I want to see more out of from him. So he is improving in this regard. But I think when you hear uh, Kirk Cousins is conservative and he needs to be more aggressive or whatever, I think that is more what is is being referred to. And I think that's a valid criticism. And I just kind of want to make sure that it's properly and fairly laid out. So I've basically spent the entire podcast talking about the offense. So we'll move on to the defense here coming up. We'll talk about Gladney and Holton Hill and the corners and the blitzes and all of that stuff and kind of how the defense was able to hold Deshaun Watson and these Texans to 23 points. That, that's coming up in just a second. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, I want to start the defensive part of this in the secondary because I think that's what people are going to be really wanting to focus on here. And honestly, the secondary played pretty well, specifically the corners. Obviously, George Iloka had this really tough game. We don't really need to go too far into that. Anthony Harris was still Anthony Harris. So safeties are kind of what we expect, but the corners are where the intrigue is, right? So let's talk about those. Uh, and, and Jeff Gladney, I think, is going to get a lot of the spotlight. So he was targeted seven times. Uh, he allowed four of them to be caught for a total of 67 yards. 43 of those 67 yards came on one Will Fuller pass, which was a really bad play. He uh, started in, in press coverage and he uh, didn't jam the way he was supposed to. And Will Fuller basically got a free release, got a ton of separation and was able to get a, a big long pass that put them right like right down into a uh, point blank range. It was a pretty bad play. But outside of that play, he actually had a really, really nice game and covered Will Fuller for a bunch of it. He actually has a positive grade against Will Fuller despite that really, really bad play. So I would actually say this is a pretty positive game for Jeff Gladney. He also had a really, really nice day in run support. Had a couple of kind of spectacular like highlight run stops, and that's really cool to see from a corner. Holton Hill also with a statistically pretty good game. Uh, he did give up a couple of penalties. I think he had an illegal contact. There might have been a pass interference. There was a pass interference that was his fault that the refs mistakenly called on Anthony Harris. They said like number 41, but it was Holton Hill who committed the penalty that they were flagging. Um, so he did get a couple of penalties and that sunk his PFF grade. His PFF grade was like a 56.6. Um, and, and that's because they just hammer you for penalties and probably rightfully so. Uh, but he's, his actual stats, so he's targeted five times. He only let one of them be caught, one to Will Fuller for 10 yards. 
uh, and that one wasn't a, a first down. So it was a really nice game, a, a pretty shutdown game, honestly, for for Holton Hill, were it not for the flags. And he's just playing a little bit too physical. If he can dial that back, he might be able to lock in and have a, a really nice game. And honestly, Will Fuller and Kenny Stills aren't scrub competition. Those, those are quality wide receivers to be shutting down. So so that's pretty nice. And then the other uh, cornerback was Cameron Dantzler, who had, I would argue, the worst game of all three of them. But I don't think he had like that bad of a game. He's targeted five times uh, by five different uh, different receivers, although two of them were running backs that were credited to him in like zone mistakes and stuff. And I think he did make a few too many zone mistakes and just not quite hitting his spots. And that's kind of rookie stuff. Um, and, you know, just like passing off improperly or improperly reading who he's supposed to cover. That's just learning the system. And, and it's like totally rookie, no preseason stuff, which is entirely understandable and not the kind of thing that would continue long term. The only real bad one, he, he only allowed three catches of those five targets for a total of 45 yards. So they weren't very high octane catches. And he honestly was able to like come up and make the tackle. I don't love his tackling right now. I think he needs to get better at tackling, but he's this tiny, you know, this skinny wide receiver. I think that's going to be a tough thing that that will take a lot more than just like, uh, you know, a break one breakthrough in practice. Um, but the real big one was the touchdown to Will Fuller, that busted coverage that we all thought was uh, George Iloka's fault. But it turns out that that one was that was on, on Cameron Dantzler. PFF agreed with it. A whole bunch of you actually asked uh, people uh, online. I, I posted that clip and I said, you know, OK, here's what I think is happening. Whose fault do you think this is? And most people agreed that it was Cameron Dantzler. And I agree, too. Uh, basically, it was a, a cover three situation and Cameron Dantzler was the only player who treated it like it was cover two, like there would be a safety. Um, and, and so he basically passed Will Fuller off to nobody. And then Will Fuller was alone in the end zone and he got that touchdown. It looked like it was George Iloka's fault because uh, Iloka had to be told pre-snap that he was supposed to crash up to the line. But he did have an underneath responsibility there. His responsibility was not to carry Will Fuller. And it's not uh, George Iloka's fault on that one. The Kenny Stills one was his fault and his, it was his fault in a whole bunch of other ones. He got a 38.1 PFF grade, which is really rough. But that's kind of the roundup on the secondary. But let's talk a little bit about the defensive line and pressure because Deshaun Watson crumbled under pressure in this game. When he was under pressure, he was uh, he had 12 dropbacks under pressure. He took uh, two sacks, a couple of throwaways. Uh, he scrambled once, but that was like a sack for, or it was like a, a quote unquote rush for like two yards. It was the one where he like got away from like everybody. So he he ran around pretty well, but he only completed two passes on those 12 pressured dropbacks for a completion percentage. 28.6. He only actually attempted seven uh, passes and was only able to complete two of them for a total of 38 yards. It was a, a really, really rough time for him under pressure and the Vikings uh, generating 12 pressures on on 40 dropbacks is not ex an excellent rate, which is unfortunate because if they had gotten more, they would have really been able to make him fall apart. Part of that is they didn't blitz a ton. They only blitzed him eight times, but those blitzes are still like Mike Zimmer blitzes. And this is something I always want to kind of explain every once in a while. So I'm sorry if you've heard this from me before, if you've been a long time listener, but if you're new or you haven't really thought about how Mike Zimmer blitzes work, it's just how all blitzes work, but Zimmer is particularly good at this. A lot of times you think of a blitz and you just think of it as sending an extra person and hoping they win the pass rush. And like when the Texans blitzed, that's basically what it was. All right, you got a four man rush and you have four people trying to beat an offensive lineman great let's send a fifth one and give ourselves you know a fifth chance to get a pressure but with Zimmer's blitzes there's a lot more complexity to it and there's a lot more like pre-snap you know you you see it all the time you know you see the linebackers kind of running up to the line and then backing up off the line and then Harrison Smith comes up to the line and backs off the line and you know and then Anthony Harris is up there and and, and the slot corner kind of like feigns and, and backs and there's all this like kind of I'm coming I'm not coming I'm coming I'm not coming and that mind game changes the way that the center or the quarterback whoever it is is responsible for the 
protections and that changes uh, that varies team to team um but for whoever it is it changes the rules and the way that they have to call their protections for example the dj wanham sack that happened in this game dj wanham got an unblocked sack in this game uh and they had seven people lined up on the line of scrimmage i actually tweeted out and i said okay you're the center or whoever uh your job is to dole out protections here you have seven people on the line these guys just came up to the line uh you know what do you do and a lot of people had some answers for what they thought they would do, uh, but a lot of it is you quote-unquote slide the protection, and, and what that means is you basically just shift everybody's responsibility one over. If there was a normal defensive line setup, and then suddenly a linebacker comes up to the line on the right side, you shift everybody toward that side, and now you know the tackle is guarding that linebacker, the guard is guarding who the tackle used to be covering, and so on and so forth, and you can slide it that way. And sometimes you can do a half slide, where you only do that to the halfway point to just figure out like one thing on the right side, but you're not screwing up the protections on the left side if the right side is what's like under attack here but when there's seven people lined up and you don't know which one's coming and which one's dropping off and that requires a lot of athleticism you know eric wilson was a safety in college so he's got the speed we know eric kendricks has the speed to do that um anthony barr has the speed to do that and he's a much bigger like uh rush threat and i, I think the vikings have been blitzing a little bit less because of the lack of anthony barr like that's one of the impacts that we're really uh losing out on here um, but it's still in this instance, at least worked really well. The, uh, the center didn't call the right protection. They ended up double teaming Eric Kendricks, Eric Wilson backed off, leaving the center to block nobody. And, uh, DJ Wanham was unblocked. So they had like misallocated their resources and it led to a sack. So that's the kind of thing that a Zimmer blitz can give you. And the Vikings were still able to do that. They just aren't doing it as much as I wish they would, even though they don't have Anthony Barr, I still think they would get away with it and, and have better returns. But that's, I guess what you lose when you get Anthony Barr's, you lose the confidence and being able to do that and back him off and like get him into coverage and stuff and, and so manufacturing pressure gets so much harder without him and that's kind of the 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 effect that you're missing so that's something that i think we're gonna have to like look through as the year moves on but speaking of moving on this is gonna be it for the texans game we are wrapping it up putting a moratorium on it we're not going to talk about the texans anymore tomorrow is going to be uh the start of seahawks mode we'll have locked on Thursdays with uh, with Locked On Seahawks with Corbin Smith over there. So we'll chat about the Seahawks, get to know the Seahawks, and then uh, Friday we'll dive in real deep and really preview it, plus your bold predictions and stuff. So get those ready. I'll be asking for them uh, usually during Thursday Night Football. Check Twitter. But that's going to do it for this episode of Locked On Vikings. This episode was brought to you by Visa. You can always find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL, and you can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And as always, Skull. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.